Hello, everyone, and welcome to Invested in Our New Reality. I'm Manjula Salvaraja. I'm a technology journalist, radio and podcast host, former startup executive, and a national technology columnist to the CBC. And I'm thrilled to be hosting this season of the podcast. For the next several weeks, we're going to be focusing on the idea of scaling up through conversations that empower growth and success. As you'll hear, Season 10 features founders who participate in the Scale-Up platform, which is delivered by Invest Ottawa with the support of the Government of Canada through FedDev Ontario. Let's get started. Today, we're speaking with Michelle Molo, the Chief Marketing Officer at Solace. It's a company that works to enable the smart movement of data from clients right around the world, from NASA to investment banks to automobile conglomerates. Michelle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Manjula. It's my pleasure to be here. So the smart movement of data, what exactly does that mean? What do you, what do, you do for your clients? As opposed to, uh, to dumb movement of data. <laughs> yes. Look, it's um, we use the word smart to distinguish what used to be called in the old days point-to-point communication, where an application would say, hey, you got a change, and the application would say, yeah, it's it's ready now, or nope, nothing yet, nothing yet. It's sort of the old, uh, you know, are we there yet? The type of data movement that we do is real-time data movement, and it's based on a technology called an event broker. So it's exactly as you might imagine, it's a broker. So it means it's kind of like a traffic cop for data. So as an event occurs in the business, it could be an order entry event. So an order gets placed. It could be the scanning of a boarding pass. It could be a plane takes off. It could be um, in a mining situation. It could be that a truck leaves the depot. So there's so many different events that occur in a business all day long. And as that event occurs, there are all kinds of processes and applications and people that need access to the data and the metadata for that event instantly, not, you know, two days later, not when these systems do batch updates, they need it right away. So what we have is a piece of technology that moves that data and brokers it, meaning it it, it takes care of moving it to where it needs to go, regardless of where that is. And it does it in near real time. And it does it smartly so that if one of the systems is down, it doesn't send it. It waits until that system is back up and it keeps the data. And it also guarantees the delivery of that data for to make sure that you know data always gets where it needs to get to uh, when it needs to get to. So Michelle, give me a real world example of how your technology has made a difference for a client of yours. Okay, let me use Heineken as an example. So everybody knows Heineken beer company, well, they have um, an order entry system where people all around the world, uh, distributors of their product, place orders for their product. And they recently changed from a system where they had a lot of people on the street taking orders and then having that order be placed through one of their distributors to allowing people to do their own ordering. And this happened during the pandemic. And when the system went live, um, they had a flood of orders, a real spike in volume of orders at one particular time. And that spike in, in orders overwhelmed the systems that were receiving the order. So they had an order when it was, when it was placed, go to a production system and a shipping system and a fulfillment system and a payment system, as well as an analytics data lake. 
And at the time, this big volume, imagine it just, you know, this like a snake, right? And you have all of a sudden this huge animal passing through the snake and it just overwhelmed the receiving applications. And what happened was some orders didn't get placed. Some orders got placed incorrectly. And as you can imagine, not only did they lose money and they lost money um, on this significant amount of money, but it also, you know, it really made the customers unhappy and it was not a, not a good time for them. When we came into uh, their, their world, we became a broker in between their order entry system and all of those applications that I talked about. And now we buffer it. So we shock absorb. So if, if they get a big spike in volume, we hold on to the orders until the other systems are ready to receive it. So that's one example. Let me give you another one with uh, a company that uh, they're a luxury retailer in Europe, um, Richemal, and they have a whole bunch of luxury brands. And, you know, they had a whole bunch of challenges around connecting their factories and their manufacturing and their inventory to their stores so that they could track inventory in real time so that if you walked into a store, they would know what you, were, you had been doing online and vice versa. If you were online, they knew what uh, when inventory was available at the stores for you to pick up. And they did that through our system. So they, they created a what we call an event mesh to connect their factories with their manufacturing systems, with their stores. And that allowed them to have real-time visibility into everything that was going on across their business. So those are the kinds of things we do for customers all over the world. It's interesting. Um, I'm hearing you talk about this and I'm thinking that, you know, when I first heard that term, the smart movement of data, I thought, what does that mean? Right? Yeah. So I would imagine that as a chief marketing officer, especially with around a, a technology like this, where right when you hear it, you don't know what it does, that it's really important for you to be able to share customer stories. So potentially new clients or other people get what the potential is. The people who work deeply with this technology know exactly what they're looking for. But there are a lot of companies and a lot of people in IT that are not familiar with this technology. So there's an education component to everything we do. We're also convincing people to move away from old ways of doing things that may have been more batch-based. So, you know, they would accept a delay in updates of systems to you know, getting them to think about what is called event-driven architecture, which is, hey, as soon as something happens, you want to be able to use it, the the output from it anywhere in your business right away. Um, so yeah, there's always a lot of education. Is that a hard thing to do with businesses? I mean, I look at some of the categories that you're in. These are large companies. Uh, they've been around, perhaps they've been around uh, for a long time. Some of these processes and behaviors around existing technology are, are entrenched. Is that hard to get them to think of doing something really deep in the middle of their data differently? I think because we are right now and in, in a pretty turbulent time, you know, COVID introduced a whole bunch of new business requirements to a lot of businesses, particularly in retail but to every company because it disrupted the supply chain. And the fact that it was disrupting their normal business as usual meant that they had to make changes to their systems really quickly. And what a lot of them concluded was that, that the infrastructure was not agile enough for them to make those changes easily. 
So a lot of them did a lot of duct tape work to add some new features, but they weren't happy with the end result. You know, they had problems with systems crashing. They had uh, systems that really were very difficult to maintain. So a lot of people are now looking for solutions. So when we come to them, it's a little easier than it was pre-pandemic where we were evangelizing a little bit more. Now we're just connecting, hey, you have these problems that were a result of systems not being very agile, not being very flexible. And the reason they're not agile and flexible is because your movement of data is really tightly coupled to your application. So when you need to change something, you have to rip it all apart and start fresh. Whereas with our system, having the data management being completely disassociated from the application, which the term we use is decouple, then they can be more agile because they can bolt on new applications in a much quicker way. Now, you've worked at the company for just over five years, I hear. That is correct. <laughs> okay. So that means also not, not only just through a period of huge growth, but also, hey, the global pandemic. Yeah. Um, I wonder what excites you about the company's future? I think what excites me the most is that we're becoming so helpful and critical to so many companies' digital transformations. And I find that really exciting. When you hear the use cases, they're not just marginal improvement use cases. These are things that are fundamentally changing how people do business. And that's really exciting to me. It's also exciting to see the market that we've been evangelizing for so long start to come to life. So, for example, at the big Amazon show, which is called AWS reInvent in Las Vegas back in December, their CTO stood up on stage and spent almost 40 minutes talking about how the world has become real-time, asynchronous, and event-driven, which is what we've been singing from for so long. So it's exciting to see the market start to evolve and mature in the way that will, uh, you know, that our technology is perfectly suited for. So when I look at the future, that's what I see as a future where most companies will want this without us having to, you know, condition them, educate them, that kind of thing. What keeps you up at night then? Well, you know, the the things that I think keep everybody up at night right now, it's just the unknowns in the economy, the unknowns in the supply chain, the unknowns in the geopolitical situations that are around the world. Um, that keeps me up. It gets me thinking about, are we focusing in the right areas, the right industries, the right businesses? And also, are we headed in the same direction that our customers are heading with this technology, this type of technology. So yeah, those. I think it, nothing that I would say is not being thought of by most uh, executives in any industry right now. A lot of big macro issues that are impacting our businesses. You know, you talked about those things that are out there that are macro issues uh, that are also unpredictable. I wonder... You said that you think about them, and that could be maybe something daily, could be something that you program into your calendar, maybe you do it with a team. Is there a formalized approach that that your organization takes to, to think around some of that unpredictability or even to think around where are our clients going? You know, we're a very agile organization. So even though we've grown significantly, we still operate a lot like a startup. We question what we're doing continuously. So every quarter we're looking at the strategy, we're making changes to it. We have our annual planning cycle, but we don't view it as a, you know, as a, it's locked in stone for the year. We view it as a guidepost. And then every quarter we 
we make course corrections, we're still agile. Uh, we don't have a big ship to turn. And we don't have the mentality of a big ship. You know, we still we still see ourselves as a, you know, a scrappy startup. You know, that quarterly or whatever conversation that you're talking about, that's not just like, oh, let's look at the pipeline and see where things are going to end up. It really is also talking about these macro trends. And if you if you have a clear understanding of the future of your customers, is that right? Absolutely. And and we have lots of conversations with the industry analysts. So that's one of the areas we really focus in on. So working with the IDCs, the gardeners, the foresters to understand what they're seeing, because they, of course, talk to thousands of companies across the globe. So they have a, they have a perspective. We also spend a lot of time with customers, uh, listening to them and hearing what they say. And then we listen to the data. But sometimes the data can be a little bit of a lagging indicator. Sometimes it can be a leading indicator. So we always have to parse which one we're really seeing. So yeah, it's, we try to inculate all these, uh, all these different data points continuously. So I know you keep describing the company as a startup. It, it it is, but you've also made. I think this was around November because I saw saw this circulating um, in different news articles in the ecosystem. You made this list of uh, tech companies with a high probability of getting to one billion dollars in annual revenues. I think there were something like twenty five companies. I, I remember that there were three companies that were based out of Ottawa. Uh, your organization was one of them. So, I mean, <laughs> that's a big number, right? It is. What's the secret to that scale-up success? You know, I think it, it's the it's a combination of being in the right space with the right product and the right team, right? So you're always looking for those three things. And I think right now we're in a space that is quickly maturing. So if you can follow the Jeffrey Moore terminology, our area is just crossing the chasm. So we see a rapid growth, you know, sequence in front of us, whether it's going to happen next quarter, a year from now, those are things that the market will dictate. But we know that our technology is maturing and people are looking for it. Gartner is talking about writing about it and maybe a magic quadrant in the, you know, fairly near future. So as those things progress, then you know, so you're in the right place. And then, you know, the technology, we've been very fortunate to have an extremely strong uh, R&D arm um, with just brilliant technology. And as a marketer, I love that. It's leading edge and, and there's nothing like being able to market leading edge technology. So we have, we have a market that's evolving quickly. We have technology that is market leading. And then the last element is, you know, we have a we have a great leadership team and and a great team around the world of very very deeply committed people that love the space. So you know, we've got those three ingredients now. It's going to be a matter of hard work and and continual fighting for every piece of ground because you know, as it matures, everybody else is going to want in the space too. So it's never easy, but we think we have a lot of the ingredients needed to continue to grow towards becoming a, a substantial technology company. Let's get into the advice portion of this because I want to make sure we get some wisdom, more wisdom out of you before we before we let you go. One of the issues that organizations face right now, uh, you know that there are strong headwinds in the industry, is talent recruitment and, and retention. And you've mentioned how important it is to have the right team. You've talked about crossing the chasm. 
how are you ensuring that you attract and keep employees so that you can continue to scale and you and you can continue this path towards this big number, the the one billion in annual revenues? I think the most important thing in terms of employee retention is having people believe in the mission and the possibilities. No matter how good your culture team is, and we have a phenomenal chief people officer in Sherry Seward, and you know the HR team does a great job of making the company a, a great place to be. But if you don't have a technology and a market that people can believe in growing, then people start to question whether there's a future for them. So I think you know, that's really critical. You, it's hard to do it if you don't have that. The other element to that is if you don't have it yet, because, you know, we're just, as I said, getting to the point where the market is starting to mature towards us. Before, we just continually talked about the vision and highlighted our marquee customers and made sure that everybody really saw that our technology is really making a difference for people. So I think that internal evangelism is really important on the retention front as well. And then in terms of recruitment, our social team have been real rock stars in terms of getting the word out. And we have a, you know, we have some playful ads, you know, our company mascot is an otter. So they put a lot of you otter work here and and a lot of playful um, (laughs) pieces out there and, and just show that, you know, it's a great technology with real marquee customers, meaty customers. And for tech people, it's a serious tech product. So if you're a technologist, they really like working on media tech projects and we have that. So we have we make sure we advertise that. We make sure that we get our own people selling the company to their friends and we reward them for bringing people in. So it's a combination of a lot of things. It's interesting to hear a marketing executive speak about using advertising, socials and promotion to Attract talent, isn't that funny? Yeah, it's it, it, This is one of the things that the chief people officers have to think about now. So let's get into more specific advice around being a marketing exec. What advice do you have for marketing execs at other startup companies that are looking to scale? What are some of the things that you think they should prepare for? I would say two key things. Well, maybe three. So. The first is really focused. I think it's extremely hard at any stage of a company's evolution, but particularly in the scale-up stage where you start to expand from your, you know, your very first initial product market fit niche into a broader set of potential customers. And it's very tempting to take the, you know, uh, customer du jour approach and, and just oh, well, that's where we should go. We need to do that. And 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 and there's nothing worse than spreading your peanut butter so thin that you have no presence in the market because you're trying to be everything to everyone. So my advice would be focus, just, you know, really maniacally focus. It doesn't mean you only do one thing. It means at one particular time, you try to narrow it down to just a few things. And then Maybe next quarter or the quarter after that, you can try other things, but you have to spend enough to make a dent in the market. And you have to really identify which are the most likely companies and customers, and then put all you have into trying to get them. And then if that doesn't work, you can pivot. But, you know, people tend to want to try everybody all the time. And I, my experience is that it's never successful. 
And then the second piece of advice I think is more, more around, you know, the, the building of the team and the foundation. You have to have a foundation to do good marketing. And without a good foundation, which costs money, takes time, needs resources, you can't do the type of marketing that you're going to need as you scale. And it's like technical debt on the, on the, um, on the tech side. You know, if you, if you don't invest in building out some of the right infrastructure and technology to even be able to deliver your product, you can't build great products. It's the same thing in the marketing side. And I think sometimes companies sacrifice some of that. Uh, oh, we'll build it later when we're bigger, but you won't get bigger if you don't build it. I'm trying to understand what you mean by foundation. Do you mean a consistent brand? Do you mean, what do you mean? So brand, I think, is part of it. And and that's absolutely a critical element of the foundation, but it's also a technical foundation. So digital marketing. So being able to have a good marketing automation foundation, a good reporting foundation, a good website foundation where you have all of your actions tracked so you can see where people are going and where people are falling off. If you're flying blind because you haven't built out all of the technical infrastructure, if you don't have, you know, we use Sixth Sense um, as, as one of our tools and it's given us incredible visibility, but all of those things take time to implement. And a lot of companies sacrifice that because they, you know, they, they think they're not big enough or they just want to go out and buy some PPC and do, you know, they do what more random acts of marketing instead of building a foundation. And I really think the foundation of all of those things that I just mentioned and, and, and some other bits and pieces of, uh, you know, things like data enrichment, enhancement, those kinds of things really pay dividends down the road. Now, this might not be specific to your company. It could even be broader. Is it tough for marketing execs at startups to sell that idea of spending time and resources on the foundation? Because it's a long game, right? And I'm just trying to imagine a marketing exec walking into a busy founder's or, or a bunch of founders' office and saying, well, I want to take this time and this money to do this because it's the foundation. Is that a hard sell? It is absolutely a hard sell. But as you're scaling, I think you just have to, you have to justify it in terms of visibility and almost like a, a hockey stick of growth potential, right? Otherwise, you're only ever going to get very linear growth. But if you build the foundation, then everything you do can be amplified because one, you'll have the ability to do promotions, retargeting, all of the things that give you real scale versus everything has to be done, you know, from scratch individually every time you do it. Here you are, you are a, a chief marketing officer. Marketing, you know, there's certain, I think, aspects of roles at startups where you could do what was done three years ago and it would still work. But marketing is one of those things that I think changes so rapidly, right? What works, what resonates, I think I, I could be wrong, changes so rapidly. How do you personally, how do you stay on top of things? Do you read a ton of books? Do you go to a lot of events? Do you have some magical little, you know, sort of group of people, other CMOs that you get together with to to figure out what works? Like how do you how do you stay current? You're absolutely right. It changes continuously. And in fact, I feel like I'm I'm behind if I'm not looking at different blogs that I go to consistently or listening to podcasts 
if I don't do that every month, you know, so it, it because it is changing continuously. So I love it. I love learning what's new. I love going to my favorite um, websites and blogs and podcasts. And I don't, I haven't been to a marketing conference uh, since the pandemic, but I used to go regularly and I need to get back into that now that they're back in person. But uh, I certainly have attended uh, hundreds of virtual events. So it seems to me that you actually make a point of carving out time on a on a monthly basis, or it's at least a to-do on your list that you don't abandon this idea of keeping up with how that you market changes. A hundred percent. I mean, I think it's critical. I don't think you can be a viable CMO in today's market if you if you are not consistently learning and changing how you think about things. A good example, Google's about to deprecate Google Analytics, which is a tool I've been using for years. So now, you know, the new thing's going to be GA4, which is a new tool. And you have to learn about that. And you have to learn the new best practices and in order to, you know, just know how to think about it. And obviously, I won't be the person implementing it. I have I have a web team, but I need to understand it. I need to get my head around it as, as much as anything else. So those those are things that change continuously the way what worked last month may not be working this month in in the in the world of advertising it changes so frequently now i promise you this will be our last question because both of us at some point do have to get back to, to doing everything else in our lives um hiring for a marketing team what are some things that you look for when you're adding people uh, to that team yeah i always look for what I'll call kind of passion and, and aptitude and attitude. You know, it, it's um, for me, people who have a, a passion for their area of marketing can move mountains, regardless of where they come in, in terms of the skill and the knowledge of your business. You know, I, I'll take somebody who is really curious, really passionate, and wants to really learn and wants to really help the company progress over somebody who's got years of experience, but is lost that kind of spark of, oh, well, let me learn this best practice. Let me go to this conference. Let me get certified. You know, that, it, that passion for me is the number one thing I look for when I interview. Oh, great insights, Michelle. <laughs> Thank you. This has been such a neat conversation. Uh, it's been fascinating to learn more about, about Solace. And I really appreciate you joining us on Invested in Our New Reality. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And thanks to our listeners for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the conversation today and that you'll stay tuned for more great discussions with innovators and entrepreneurs in our next few episodes. For now, though, I'm Manjula Salvaraja, and I look forward to speaking with you again on Invested in Our New Reality. Thank you.